Reverend Jeremiah Wright makes some outrageous statements. We'll discuss what some think is the most dangerous remark he made this week. Plus, first quarter growth signals technically we're not in a recession. The Fed acted today on inflation concerns. What's going on in the economy? We'll ask an expert. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. These people had in Luke 19 an occupying army living in their country. Jesus, in verse 43, calls them their enemies. Say enemies. All right, that's enough of that. That's Jeremiah Wright. He's Barack Obama's former pastor. And he's comparing there U.S. forces in Iraq to Roman forces in Israel. The Roman forces were the enemy. The U.S. forces are the enemy. Well, what do you think about that? Everybody is politically challenging right statement. But wait a minute. There's one of those statements he made yesterday that many are considering the most dangerous theologically. You're not, it's not getting any play on the television But Dr. Denny Burke, who teaches New Testament, will be here in 15 minutes to talk about the most dangerous thing that Jeremiah Wright said, and it cuts to the heart of the gospel itself. Well, tomorrow is the National Day of Prayer. Shirley Dobson leading that effort. She's chairman of the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Here's what she says about it. I'm sure you're aware that the courts and activist groups are seeking to remove all expressions of religious faith from public life. What can we do to preserve our liberties and our heritage? We can pray. The National Day of Prayer provides us with an opportunity to exercise our freedom to gather, worship, and pray in the public square. By uniting in love and prayer, the body of Christ can have a tremendous impact on America. Join me and millions of others in praying for our country. If we'll raise our voices and ask for God's intervention and protection, freedom will ring across the land. All right, that's Shirley Dobson promoting the National Day of Prayer tomorrow. We want to be in prayer. The Texas coordinator, Ann Quest, our good friend, will be here tomorrow to talk about it. But we want to call everyone to prayer tomorrow for our nation, for our country, for our leaders, for our culture. Well, I'm looking at yesterday's USA Today, and the Money Section headline says, Economists say USA is in recession. Here is Senator 
Charles Schumer, Democrat, saying we're in a recession. Just because President Bush won't say the word doesn't mean Americans aren't feeling like we are in a recession. Feeling like we are in a recession, but in fact, are we in a recession? What is a recession? And maybe we're not in one, but you feel like it. And uh, what has gone on with this economy. How bad is it right now? Well, also, Dr. Johnson, today the federal funds rate was cut, which signals that the Fed is concerned about inflation and the stock market finished down. So we do need to ask what's going on here. And with us to discuss this is uh, Ray Hedeman. He is Assistant Director of the Center for Data Analysis at the Heritage Foundation. Ray, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You know, you looked at, uh, well, the first piece of news I saw on the economy today was that the economy actually grew. Now, it was a small amount. 0.6% in the first quarter, but that's not a recession, is it? Uh, No. In fact, uh, you know, it does show growth, albeit, as you stated, very, very, very slow growth. You know, recession technically is defined as uh, two or more quarters of negative growth. And while it feels like we're in a recession, technically, we even haven't had one quarter of negative growth yet. Well, it does feel to a lot of people like we're in a recession. And one of the things that people first cite when they say that they're being hurt right now is gas prices. What about it? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, gas and food prices, you know, what we call commodities, have skyrocketed over the last year, and it's really uh, put a pressure on a lot of people's uh, pocketbook. You know, these are what we call kitchen table items, you know, things that people have got to go out and buy every day, every week to be able to get by on things. And when these prices have increased sharply, you know, uh, up 2 or $3 for gas, tripled in some food prices, it really hurts uh, working Americans. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. Our guest is Ray Hederman at the Heritage Foundation. Ray, let me ask you, why are these food prices going up? Why are these gas prices going up? Is it because the dollar is being devalued? Well, that's a a part of the reason because, you know, a lot of times, well, obviously we import uh, food from abroad, so a a lower dollar makes it a little bit more expensive and makes uh, oil cheaper to other countries. But, you know, part of it is we can look at our own policies. You know, U.S. foreign policy uh, 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 is a mess, and we kind of encourage farmers to plant the wrong crops. Uh, ethanol subsidies has definitely played a role in uh, raising the cost of food because, you know, farmers are now selling corn, you know, to gas producers. So that food is not getting to the kitchen table, and that has played a role in elevating food prices. Hey, Ray, let me interject here. I'm looking at the cover of a national magazine. Uh, the title is Food Fight. Uh, understanding the new high cost of getting enough to eat. That's World Magazine. Everyone's talking about a food shortage. Is the, is the push for ethanol part of that shortage? Uh, absolutely. I mean, in, in 2007, the United States plucked a record number of acres for corn, but just about all that new corn production went to biofuels and ethanol. Wow. And, you know, we see that in the new farm bill that's going, sailing through Congress this week, you know, another government subsidy for these ethanol producers. And so what's happening is, has the world, you know, sitting there saying, we're not going to buy as much oil, we're not going to depend on oil. They're trying to go to biofuels, but they're not very efficient. And as a consequence, you know, uh, uh, crops that used to go to foodstuffs that used to make its way to your kitchen table is now being used for ethanol and some of these other productions. So, you know, there's no question, you know, the World Bank, all these other groups have all noticed 
the impact that the ethanol subsidies have had in increased food prices and food shortages. Uh, Ray Hederman is with us from Heritage Foundation. Ray, we're hearing a lot of talk about the economy on the campaign trail and also President Bush really pushing hard right now to get his tax cuts made permanent. Uh, they They were good for the economy. What would happen if those tax cuts expire? Well, you know, uh, it, it, it's important that, that we really look at the, uh, you know, investment side of some of the, uh, uh, President Bush's tax cuts. You know, companies don't make a decision to invest in what happened last week. They look to invest in what's going to happen next week, you know, and the, the week after that. It's a forward-looking uh, enterprise. Mm-hmm. And so by raising the cost of investment when the Bush tax cuts expire, that's going to give businesses less incentive to uh, expand, to try new technologies, so that's going to mean there's going to be less jobs available and really slow economic growth. And then not to mention, you know, I think a lot of people have forgotten how much money the Bush tax cuts return to the working American. And when they see those taxes go up and those tax cuts expire, I think a lot of Americans are going to suffer sticker shock when a lot of people's taxes are going to go up $1,000, $2,000. What about capital gains? Because Barack Obama says it's not going to matter to most Americans if the capital gains tax uh, rate is increased. Well, you know, uh, luckily we have an historical example of what happens when we increase capital gains rate. You know, if we go back to the 80s, uh, we saw that uh, uh, during the 1986 Tax Reform Act, you know, it was a good, a good reform bill, but the capital gains tax hike was uh, increased. Capital gains taxes were increased. And as a result, you know, everybody the year before the tax was going to be increased, you know, sold their stock, cashed in their capital gains so they could pay taxes at the lower rate. And in the next several years with the higher tax rates, Nobody really sold their stock profits. Nobody turned over as much capital. And what that means is, like, you know, you have a lot less money going to the government, and you have investment trapped in poor returning substitutes because people don't want to turn over their investments to new profitable enterprises. So, I mean, we know what's going to happen. People are going to sell out before the stock expires, before the uh, tax cut expires, and then people aren't going to be willing to invest in new profitable ventures. So, again, you're going to get slow economic growth. You know, we can just look back 20 years, and we can see exactly what's going to happen again. Uh, this is Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Ray Hederman. He's with the Heritage Foundation. Uh, Ray, I think most people are feeling the crunch at the gas pump, at the gas pump. They're thinking, oh, these gas prices are so high, and we see the politicians piling on. Now, I want uh, you to listen to President Bush um, really responding to Chuck Schumer and other Democrats, Hillary Clinton as well, uh, about gas prices. I've repeatedly submitted proposals to help address these problems. Yet time after time, Congress chose to block them. One of the main reasons for high gas prices is that global oil production is not keeping up with growing demand. Members of Congress have been vocal about foreign governments increasing their oil production, yet Congress has been just as vocal in opposition to efforts to expand our production here at home. Ray, here's my question. We've not been willing to drill in Alaska. We've not been willing to drill off the coast of Florida or California. Uh, we've not approved a refinery, uh, approved in a, a refinery in 20 years or a nuclear power plant in over 25 years. Ha- is some of this energy crisis self-imposed? Uh, absolutely. I mean, anybody who ever took you know, uh, 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 economics for even one day probably remembers a supply and demand curve. And we have an increased demand in the world for energy, but we have decreasing supply. And so that results in higher prices for everybody concerned. And the United States has not invested in the energy infrastructure. You know, we've restricted our uh, exploration in many areas. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, oil and Anwar in Alaska. 
and then uh, some of the other uh, energy technologies as well. So, I mean, some of this is self-inflicted uh, uh, damage that we brought upon, uh, upon ourselves. Ray, let me uh, ask you to listen now to a Hillary Clinton campaign ad. I want your opinion on this prescription. She's talking about uh, getting money here from the oil companies. These days, it costs 50 bucks to fill up the tank. How can Indiana families afford that? Hillary Clinton knows it's time to act. Take some of the windfall profits of big oil to pay to suspend the gas tax this summer. Investigate the oil giants for price gouging and collusion. Make the oil companies invest in new clean energy sources to free us from foreign oil and bring gas prices down to earth. With gas this expensive, talk is cheap. It's time for leadership. I'm Hillary Clinton, and I approve this message. As a policy analysis, what do you think of this economic plan? Well, you know, uh, both she and Senator McCain have advocated, you know, suspending the gas tax, and I don't think that's going to have a, a great deal of effect uh, uh, in the long run for gas prices or really, you know, help people out a tremendously amount for the summer. As for the windfall uh, taxes in the oil industry, I think that's uh, uh, pretty crazy. I mean, you know, when the oil industry, when gas was, you know, a dollar a gallon 10 years ago, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, 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 tears being shed, you know, when they didn't have as good of profits. And so <laughs> these companies are being able, you know, to benefit from, from you know, uh, good economic times. Uh, what we know is that they'll take these profits, and if they're allowed to, they'll invest in creating new supply. You know, and what these companies, a lot of times, companies take, the, take their profits, they return them to shareholders, and they use them to expand their businesses. If we tax these profits, that's going to be less incentive for these companies to go ahead and expand, and we'll be stuck with even uh, tighter short, uh, uh, oil shortages in the future. All right, one more very quick question. Another piece of news today, hiring leaps in the public sector. Now, conservatism is about reducing the size of government. Is there any chance that's going to happen under any of the presidential candidates? Uh, uh, I, I, I am not sure that any of the candidates has an idea to come out and really shrink, a, 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 you know, the government, unfortunately. You know, I kind of miss the days when, uh, uh, you know, uh, you had uh, Speaker Gingrich and President Reagan, you know, calling for a smaller, tighter government. But I, I don't think that that is really a foremost in the agenda of any of the presidential candidates that I've heard. I know you guys are out there trying to do that, though. Ray, uh, we're about to... Absolutely. A- you know, fighting uh, uh, the good fight every day. We're about out of time. Just uh, one question, one answer here. Is it going to get better um, or worse? I think better. I think uh, some of the uh, news I've seen the last two weeks tells me that the light is now beginning to be seen at the end of the tunnel. So I think there's some good news uh, to look forward to probably, you know, by the end of the summer. Ray Hederman, Heritage Foundation, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me, Dr. Scott. All right, folks, when we come back, you've been hearing all this sound from Jeremiah Wright, Barack Obama's former pastor. He claims... He's purveying black liberation theology. Is that New Testament Christianity the most offensive, the most dangerous, the most sensational quote you've probably not heard from his speech in the last 48 hours? We're going to play that quote when we come back. We're going to have a theology, New Testament professor respond to that quote. You will not believe it. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian 
one frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but through me. Do you believe this, and do you think Islam is a way to salvation? Jesus also said, other sheep have I who are not of this fold. Listen to that applause. All right, you're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. And that was Jeremiah Wright, and he is um, Barack Obama's former pastor. He is um, certainly in the news right now for many other controversial statements. But uh, that was a theological question and a theological answer. And our next guest says this is Wright's most dangerous comment. It's Dr. Denny Burke. He's Associate Professor of New Testament at Greek here at Criswell College. And he's written a Baptist Press article about this. It's been picked up by Town Hall. Dr. Burke holds the Ph.D. from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He's also a graduate of Dallas Seminary. Again, he teaches right here at Criswell College. And this is his area of expertise, New Testament and Greek. Uh, Dr. Burke, uh, when you heard Jeremiah Wright, he's asked that question. He answers that scripture with a scripture. But what's wrong with that? Well, he distorts the Scripture. You know, all of us recognize that what Wright was saying there and in that whole speech had political implications, and almost all of the discussions that we've been seeing on television are about the implications that that speech and that question and answer time have on Barack Obama's presidential campaign. And what I was writing about, I was trying to explain that there are much bigger fish to fry in what he said than any political campaign, because what he said and what he did as a pastor really transcends politics, because he was distorting the words of Jesus in a way that have eternal consequences for people if they believe what he was was saying there. Now, you heard the moderator ask the question, and the question was based on a quotation from John chapter 14 and verse 6, um, where Jesus says, no man comes to to the Father but through me. It's impossible to be saved to enter in through eternal life, according to Jesus, unless you come to Jesus, unless you believe in Jesus. And that particular point of Christian belief, Orthodox Christian belief, evangelical faith, is And she was asking, really, Islam another way? Is Islam another way? Yeah, that's exactly right. And she, she focuses in on Islam, but the larger point is this. The exclusive, the exclusive claims of Jesus are controversial today, and a lot of people can't have it. And so 
you know, she was asking, is Islam another way? Do you have to have conscious faith in Jesus Christ in order to be saved? And his answer was to quote from John 10 in verse 16, where Jesus says, other sheep that I have that are not from this fold. And he implies that even unbelievers, people who don't know Christ, can nevertheless be saved by Christ because Jesus has other sheep. And uh, that would include not only Muslims, of course, that's what they were talking about in that conversation, but anyone. He certainly meant to apply that to the Muslim issue at point. Now, you teach New Testament and Greek. Uh, You teach what we call here hermeneutics, and that's a method of proper biblical interpretation. Where did he get that wrong? I mean, he quoted Scripture, but uh, where did he get it wrong? Well, I just I just want to make two, two points here. I want to tell you where he got it wrong, but I just want to remind you that when Jesus faced the devil in the desert, the, the devil, devil quoted, quoted Scripture. <laughs> okay, it's always been from Genesis 1, yes. Genesis 2, Genesis 3, actually. Um, Satan's modus operandi is not to ignore the Word of God, but to distort it. Mm. This was a distortion of the Word of God. Jesus never meant any such thing in what he said in John 10 when he said that other sheep that I have, he never meant to communicate that there are unbelievers out there who are nevertheless saved by me. Jesus describes sheep in John chapter 10 as those that hear his voice, he says in John chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. He says they hear him. He says they follow him. He says they will not follow strangers because they don't recognize their voice. He says all other people who come with messianic pretensions are thieves and robbers, and his sheep will not listen to them. He also, Jesus says that my sheep know me. I know them, and they know me. They know my voice. They follow me. When Jesus says that he has other sheep, what he means is, is that at that time he was speaking to, to, to Jews, And the Jews were coming to faith in Jesus. Some of them were rejecting, but the ones who were accepting were his sheep, and they were in this fold. He was saying, I have sheep from another fold, which is just meaning another sheep pen. Okay, but they're all his sheep, and they all, even the other sheep, hear his voice. He And and, and Jeremiah Wright didn't even quote the rest of the verse in John uh, 10, 16, where he says, the other sheep, I'm going to bring them in also. They shall hear my voice. And they shall become one flock with one shepherd. Jeremiah Wright is suggesting that there are those who don't hear his voice who nevertheless are saved. Now, why is all of this important? And this is what I want to get to. Like I said, this transcends any kind of a political statement or political implication. That pastor who is supposed to be a shepherd of God's people standing in God's stead is distorting the gospel. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus says no man can serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other, or you're devoted to one and you despise the other. You can't have two masters. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus. If you try to go another way, you're not going to make it. So if people are listening to that message and thinking, okay, well, I may not be following Jesus, but you know, there's all these alternate routes to salvation. It's dangerous, very dangerous. There are no alternate routes to salvation. It's only through Jesus. So this, these have the highest consequences. You know, his highest profile uh, parishioner got it wrong, too, because Barack Obama was asked this same question a couple of weeks ago about his faith and Jesus Christ, and he said that's how he's going to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. But he said that others, like his atheist mother, because of their deeds, their good deeds, 
could also qualify for heaven. So in a sense, I think he has absorbed the teaching of his former pastor. Yeah, we've played that soundbite before. Now, right now, I want to go to uh, this Associated Press reporter who's really talking about the National Day of Prayer. And Dr. Burke, I think what you're, what I want to show here is this, this notion today, this conventional wisdom that all paths lead to God, all religions are equal. I mean, it's, it's actually now injected itself into the National Day of Prayer. Coordinators of this Thursday's National Day of Prayer are taking hits from both sides. Jews on First and the Council on American-Islamic Relations accuse the National Day of Prayer Task Force of turning the day into an evangelical event that excludes others. Meanwhile, the VCY America Radio Network is criticizing the honorary chairman of this year's National Day of Prayer for posting an official prayer in God's holy name instead of in Jesus' name. The National Day of Prayer Task Force says others can organize their own events. I'm Steve Coleman. Last year, I had the privilege of being the honorary chair of the Dallas National Day of Prayer. I spoke, and uh, we have Ann Quest on tomorrow, and she's uh, the, coordinating it. And But there was, down at Thanksgiving Square, a generic interfaith day of prayer. I was chairman of the, quote, Christian <laughs> day of prayer. Yeah. But uh, Right is playing into, again, this this street belief out there that all roads lead to God. One way is as good as another. But I have to ask you this as a New Testament theologian, Dr. Burke. Um, this is not the gospel. I mean, this is a heresy. Oh, absolutely. You know, Paul warned against people who would come and preach another Jesus mm. whom we have not preached. There'll be lots of people who will use Jesus's name, who will take the name of Christ, and they'll say that they're Christians. But what we have to remember is, is that all that calls itself Christian is not necessarily Christian. Mm. Uh, there are many out there who do things in the name of Christ who are not speaking in behalf of Christ and who are actually distorting the gospel message and the gospel invitation. And in this case, it's a distortion of the gospel of both, the message and the invitation. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Our guest is Dr. Denny Burke. Uh, Penedexter is here in the studio as well. Uh, Dr. Burke teaches New Testament and Greek here at Criswell College. Uh, Dr. Burke, let's do this. Let's listen now to Jeremiah Wright and Sean Hannity because um, – Jeremiah Wright is obviously not coming from an evangelical, biblical, New Testament perspective. He has another theological loyalty. Here it is. If you're not going to talk about liberation theology that came out of the 60s, systematized black liberation theology that started with Jim Cohn in 1968. Reverend. And the writings of Cohn and the writings of Dwight Hopkins and the writings of womanist theologians and Asian theologians and Hispanic theologians. Reverend, then i got to get talk, this in. Then you, then you can't talk wanna, about the black value system. I, 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 no, but, but you, you that's enough of that. All right, the black value system, liberation theology, James Cone, womanist theology. Which he means feminist theology. Is uh, Distinguish that from the New Testament gospel. Well, he's he is participating in this uh, sort of transdisciplinary theological project which seeks to see Christianity as a religion without any hierarchies. Liberation theologies, feminist theologies, uh, counter-imperial theologies, all of these want to have a, a, a way of viewing Christianity in the world that has no hierarchy. Well, that's problematic if you know the New Testament at all. Uh, we're out of time on this segment. Dr. Burke, I hope you can stay over. If you can't, Penn and I will give it a run. But if you can, we'll continue on because we want to see really how liberation theology changes the definition of sin, 
changes the definition of salvation. It is another gospel. And yes, we have political concerns with Obama and Wright and their view of America, but as Christians, greater theological concerns for the gospel. That's really what we're talking about today. What does this mean? Is this the black church? Perhaps we have folks in the black church that would call in. Do you agree with this? 800-881-9270. 800-881-9270. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but through me. Do you believe this, and do you think Islam is a way to salvation? Jesus also said, other sheep have I who are not of this fold. Well, that's Dr. Jeremiah Wright. He was strutting his stuff. He was enjoying that platform, and uh, he had the amen corner there with him. Uh, but it, should this be an amen point? Because this was about universalism. This was about inclusivism. This was about saying, really, that there are other ways besides Jesus. Well, our guest today, Dr. Denny Burke, who teaches here at Criswell College, has written a major expose on this one quote, and it's been picked up by Town Hall. He's here to answer questions about it. But, of course, we also played in the last segment uh, Dr. Wright saying he believes in liberation theology. And let me just tell you, liberation theology redefines sin as oppression and racial oppression. And you hear Wright speaking about that politically. And it redefines salvation as deliverance from that oppression. So it takes its motif from the Exodus, but it doesn't uh, spiritualize it as we have in the New Testament through the cross of Jesus Christ. It says, look, uh, the, the, the sin and the oppression is physical still today, and the liberation is physical. It's not about the liberation of the soul or the spirit. It's about economic liberation, political liberation, empowerment, and deliverance from the authorities. But that is not the New Testament gospel. We're talking about that. We particularly want to hear from folks in the black church out there to give us a call, 800-881-9270. You know, something else uh, that Jeremiah Wright said was that he would, if Obama were elected, he would come after Barack Obama because the government is still grinding down on people. And I think that really uh, flows out of this theology. Let's go to the phones now. Bob is in Terrell. Bob, thanks for calling. Yes, Penny. Uh, I'm reading a book about uh, black li- introduction to black liberal liberation theology. And it's got, uh, it's by Dan- Diana Hayes. It's called And Still We Rise. It's uh, talking about symbol and metaphor about James Cone. And it's got in here, since the black community is still an oppressed community, because and only because of its blackness, the Christological importance of Jesus Christ must be found in his blackness. If he is not black as we are, then the resurrection has little significance wow. for our times. Indeed, if he cannot be what we are, we cannot be who he is. All right, Bob, we've got to stop there, but I think you've already read enough. Dr. Burke, as a New Testament scholar, can you really make Jesus into a black man? Well, No. He's, he's not a white man. Either. He's not a white guy either. He was Jewish, and and by the way, let me let me correct that statement. He is Jewish. Yes, he is the risen Savior right now, seated at the right hand of God, resurrected. 
Um, That's the gospel that we preach, and that's the hope of salvation that's offered to anyone who believes in him. And that's where Jeremiah Wright is getting this wrong. And listen, we learned it as kids. This message is for everyone, red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. Didn't we learn that? That's the gospel, but you have to believe in Jesus. Mm. Well, people were worried about a Mormon president influencing people's theology. Let's go back to the phones, 800-881-9270. Dave is in Frederick. Dave, thanks for calling. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. I really, really am enjoying the program because I've been waiting for someone to uh, bring this perspective that kind of to the limelight. The thing that bothers me the most, I guess, is the the term I keep hearing, the black church. Yes, uh, yes. I didn't, I didn't know the body of Christ was split up into mm. racial areas, let alone denominations. So I'll hang up and mm. you all might comment Well, even if that, there are black churches, they're not all following down this line. Dr. Burke, well, speak to this. Well, you know, there, there are some things that you could hear Dr. Wright talk about that are correct descriptions of things. Uh, like, for instance, the 11 o'clock hour in the morning, on Sunday mornings, is the most segregated time right? Um, in a lot of ways in, in American life. That's a shame. Um, we don't want to deny that there are um, historic uh, divides that have come down to us and that in, in some sense afflict us still between uh, races. And but, but that's not the Christian vision mm. of what the church is to be. The church is people gathering together from every race, tribe, mm. ethnic group, everyone. The visions of worship and revelation are people from all races coming together around Jesus. Our unity is in Jesus mm. and in the gospel that we profess. That's precisely why our race, our ethnicity, all of those things become secondary and are no longer things that divide us within the body of, of Christ. So, you know, I don't, you know, I, he's, there are black churches, there are white churches, there are all kinds of churches really, we characterized by demographics, but that's not, uh, you know, that's not a... We really shouldn't have that designation. We've all fallen into that trap. There are mostly white churches that have some blacks, mostly black churches that have some whites. But, you know, the white church is not a monolith. You've got liberal, uh, gospel-denying so-called white churches, and then you've got gospel-preaching evangelical white churches. And you have social gospel, liberation theology black churches like uh, Jeremiah Wright, and then you've got gospel black churches evangelical black churches like Tony Evans, like Reverend Carter oh, here, and many other great uh, preachers. And Dr. Johnson, I, I would just say that, you know, Dr. Jeremiah Wright was trying to claim that, you know, the theology he's preaching of liberation is the historic black, black theology. And, you know, I think there may be a little bit of historical revisionism in yes. that. I think his theology of liberation comes more out of white liberalism uh, than anything else. Back to the phones. We're taking your calls. Rhonda is in White Settlement. Hi, Rhonda. Thanks for waiting. Hi. First, I'd like to say I'm a black woman, and first and foremost, I'm a born-again, Bible-believing Christian. And amen to your last caller, because Jeremiah Wright, he's preaching another gospel. Hmm. As we know that the Bible says in the last days, there are going to be scoffers walking in their own lust, which is what he's doing. And he, it's like the wheat and the tares. It's, uh, it's a shame that he has people in his church 
that's believing what he's saying and not researching the Bible as to what the truth actually is. Mm. We know that there is only one way to, to eternity to get to heaven, which is through the blood of Jesus Christ. You have to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. and re- Repent and turn from your sins and do that. That's the only way. And like I said, he's preaching another gospel, and it's a shame that people in a black church are going for this. Many are being because, duped, Rhonda. Thank you for that call. You know, um, Dr. Burke, uh, you teach hermeneutics again, methods of Bible interpretation. Uh, let's go again to Jeremiah Wright, because it seems to me he's viewing everything through a prism a prism of liberation theology. I mean, I have to wonder, for instance, if there were other ways why God would send His only begotten Son to die on a cross if all the other religions were going to lead to God anyway. I mean, that's a more fundamental question. But uh, let's listen now, because he's, he's got this political agenda, and he's talking about the Romans and the U.S. Army and trying to compare the two. These people had in Luke 19 an occupying army living in their country. Jesus in verse 43 calls them their enemies. Say enemies. Their enemies had all the political power. Remember, they had to send Jesus to a court presided over by the enemy, a provisional governor appointed by their enemies, ran the civic and the political affairs of their capital. He had backing him up an occupying army with superior soldiers. They were commandos trained in urban combat and trained to kill on command. Remember, it was soldiers of the 3rd Marine Regiment of Rome who had fun with Jesus who was mistreated as a prisoner of war, an enemy of the occupying army stationed in Jerusalem to ensure the mopping up action of Operation Israeli Freedom. All right, well, Jeremiah Wright has made a moral equivalency between the Israeli defense and the Palestinian aggressors and terrorists, but here he's made a moral equivalency between the Roman soldiers in the New Testament that crucified Jesus and occupied uh, the Holy Land, and the U.S. troops that are in Iraq. What do you make of this hermeneutic? Uh, I don't agree with it. I think it's wrong. As a matter of fact, I've, I've got an article that's uh, going to be published coming out uh, in the Journal of the Evangelical Theological Society on this topic. There is an increasing group of biblical scholars who are um, comparing the United States to the Roman Empire and reading, in this case, Paul's Gospel as really just a confrontation of the Roman Empire. and Therefore, the gospel confronts empires, all empires, including the American so-called empire. One of the major problems with this is the idea that you can make a moral equivalence between what, a, what a, the American, uh, America's hegemony in the world and, and the, Roman, the Roman government. I think there's problems with that all over the place. But um, what happens is, is I think the pol- at, at, the bo- at, at the end of the day, I think the politics of... Um, having resentment towards American foreign policy or domestic policy is driving the theology. And so you're reading those resentments back into the Bible. That's the, that's what I see, at least. All right. So this man preaching another Jesus, another gospel, and not really using sound biblical hermeneutics. He believes in inclusivism, all religions really leading to God. There are other ways. And... Um, 
Twisting the Text, Dr. Denny Burke, um, your website. DennyBurke.com, D-E-N-N-Y-B-U-R-K.com. And go to Baptist Press, our town hall, and read this editorial, Wright's Most Dangerous Comment. We thank you, Dr. Burke, for being with us. When we come back, Penna is going to give analysis on Hannah Montana, the Miley Cyrus photo, the photography controversy. We've got callers still calling in. And um, this is Jerry Johnson Live with Penna Dexter. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. If you're not going to talk about liberation theology that came out of the 60s, systematized black liberation theology that started with Jim Cohn in Okay, that's enough of that again. That's Dr. Jeremiah Wright, Barack Obama's pastor. We don't mind getting political here. We've, we've critiqued McCain. We've critiqued Clinton. We are critiquing Obama, obviously, on the political implications of his association with Jeremiah Wright. But as Christians, we have a greater concern about the theological implications of the heresy that's called liberation theology, the heresy of theological inclusivism. We're going to take some more calls and uh, talk to our theologian in just a minute about that. But, uh, Pena, we've got to hit this Hannah Montana issue. What has happened? What are your concerns? Well, if you've got little girls, you know who Hannah Montana is, and you know who Miley Cyrus, who plays Hannah Montana, is. Of course, her dad is Billy Ray Cyrus, and he is supposedly a pretty good dad, they say. Yeah. Uh, but And she's also uh, basically a Disney Channel singer, Walt Disney, who's trying to get back their reputation. And uh, she was photographed by Annie Leibowitz, uh, who uh, loves to do nude uh, nude photographs for artistic reasons. Not nude, but... But uh, in a, you know, kind of wrapped up a little bit with a sultry uh, look on her face. And she's 15 years old. And so a lot of people are wondering if she's going to go the way of Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, and the others. And uh, we'll have to see about that. So the questions are, first of all, where's Disney allowing this to happen? Number two, uh, where were her parents? Apparently they took her to the shoot but left and her grandma was there. And uh, she needs to get her, uh, her little persona back, too. She's supposed to be an innocent uh, little actress, and she needs to be playing that um, and not uh, b- basically uh, modeling for an adult magazine. 
uh, for uh, this kind of suggestive type uh, pictures. And I think really what this does is it just says, can't we have anything innocent in our society and not sexualize it? And that's a question that's still up for grabs. Well, I'm sure we're going to follow up this story and really be asking, you know, what are parents to do? Are you going to still allow your children to watch the show, to wear these shirts? What are we going to do? And uh, we'll have to look into that uh, in the next few days. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's keep tuned in for that. But we've got callers on the line really about the theological heresy. And I do not use that word lightly. I think it's safe to say that Jeremiah Wright is a theological heretic. Uh, what do you think about this heresy? We've got Marvin on the line from Dallas. You're on the air with Pennedexter and Dr. Denny Burke. Thank you for having me on your air. And um, I come from Africa, basically, and I've been here in America now for about uh, nine to ten years. And what I have uh, observed is that um, back in Africa, we don't we didn't know about the black and white church. <laughs> we all went to the same church, yes. white and black, under the same preacher, whether it's a white preacher or a black preacher. And when I came here, I realized that you know the church was divided. Either you are going to the white church or you are going to the black church. And the other thing that I realized, I observed, was that there was a lot of politicizing in either one of the churches and as a result the message that uh, uh, pastors deacons and everybody working for jesus that they are supposed to be giving out to the people is actually now mired in the political situation of the day marvin let me ask you this question do you think that rights politics have uh, caused him to completely distort the gospel message. It has. And from listening to him, I think this has been his message, you know, throughout. I appreciate the fact that, you know, um, he, has, he had pulled, you know, uh, a lot of sheep in terms of God. But I'm also afraid that, you know, by so doing, he was also feeding them, you know, the wrong food. Thanks, Marvin, for that call. Uh, Dr. Burke, your response. Uh, that's what Jesus said. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Mm. All those who came before me were thieves and robbers. Mm. Uh, those were the ones who were the pretenders and not the real thing. And um, there's a great potential for damage to be yes. done to people if they believe this message. All right. We've got Rebecca on the line from Dallas. Rebecca, thank you for holding. What's your question? What's your comment? Well, this is basically a comment, and my comment or maybe question is, uh, why are we even talking about this guy? I mean, it's obvious that he is he's against the gospel. And I don't think we should be giving him this much credit by even talking about him. And maybe this is what he, he, what he wants. Uh, obviously, Satan is behind all of this. Tomorrow is the National Day of Prayer. I think we should be talking about that. We have a lot of other issues that are very serious in this nation, and we should be getting ready to pray for that. And... Uh, uh, also about Obama, he said, I think he says everything about him being uh, uh, a member of the church. I think, to me, he says everything about what Obama stands for. I don't care if he denies it. He was there 20 years, 
and he just now, um, you know, against him. I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that. So I think you nailed it, Rebecca, because that is why we are talking about Jeremiah Wright. Because who you're talking about it already? I mean, we should be concerned about other issues. A lot of other people. It's not like well, there's still an election at stake, and I think people want to tie the man to the pastor. And Rebecca, I think twenty years. The unique approach we're taking right today is really not focusing on the politics but focusing on the theology and the doctrine because the scandal in the media is about his anti-Americanism and his crazy statement about AIDS. But we're talking today about a greater concern for a Christian, and that is the integrity of the gospel itself. Dr. Berg, before this program is over, in fact, right now, if you could, I think it'd be very important. You know, we've talked about the false gospel, and, uh, you know, Rebecca is saying, look, we need to be talking about the National Day of Prayer. And by the way, Anquest is coming on tomorrow. We're going to do another segment on the National Day of Prayer tomorrow. But um, we have been highlighting the false gospel. There are probably people out there listening today who say, you know, if this isn't right, what Jeremiah Wright says, that all religions lead to God, that Jesus is a way, but there are other ways, mm-hmm. uh, we need to be clear today to say, what is the true gospel? Could you share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul told Titus, Titus chapter 1, that he needed to be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict, mm. um, which means that we have to be able to refute those who are distorting the message and we have to be able to set forth the message. And the gospel is this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and died for sinners and was buried and was raised on the third day and was seen by many witnesses. The Bible says that his death was a payment and a, a payment and a punishment for the sins of us. And that anyone who comes to Christ and believes in his sacrifice and in his resurrection, they can be saved and they can have the promise of eternal life. And it doesn't matter what color you are, what gender you are, what your socioeconomic position is. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, or Green. If you come to Jesus in faith, you can be saved. If you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died for your sins on the cross and rose again, you need to repent, acknowledge your sin, turn to Christ right now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Pentadexter leading prayer tomorrow at the National Day of Prayer. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.